to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And I've titled this message, Managing God's Money. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, yeah. We haven't gotten all the credit card bills in yet from everything we bought for Christmas. And now you're going to be teaching on money. Why don't we, we should have done this back in October and prepared us, okay? Um, I don't want anything from you. We're not taking up an extra offering or anything like that. This is probably going to be the, one of the most practical messages that I could share with you. There's something for everyone about money because we all need money. We all use money. And God's word has a lot to say about money. In fact, listen to this statistic. Now, I, I took it from a liable source. I didn't count all of them. But there's 2,350 Bible verses that deal with money and possessions. And there's about 500 on prayer. Would you say that God has a lot to say about money and possessions? He does. It's important. It's because it's probably one of the biggest competitors against God for our heart. For our passions, for our drive, that, that money can be that thing that gets in there and gets us off track. Uh, this is a recent statistic that I was able to find that 60% of, the Amer- of Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck. 60%. And you might be thinking, well, the answer really is if I made more money. Well, I'm going to share with you, if you make $100,000 or more, it's 50% live paycheck to paycheck. See, it's really not an income problem. It's an expense problem. Sometimes it's an income problem, but it's those things work together oftentimes. Money is actually one of the leading causes of divorce. And, you know, I think many of us know this, but we can't live like the U.S. government. We can't borrow our way to prosperity, okay? And I know some people are trying to do it, but you know what? And I really, really believe that God's Word has so much wisdom about money, and there's a reason for it. He wants us to live different in this world. He wants us to be prepared for the storms of life. And so as we go through this message, very, very practical, all based on God's Word, and if you uh, disagree with it, hopefully you disagree then with God's word, as I'm just a mailman. But I really felt like a strong message that the Lord wanted this delivered here on this January 1st service. I'm going to start with this verse from Matthew 6, 24, up on the screen. Words of Jesus. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he goes on and explains further what he's talking about. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's talking about that. Jesus knew that the difference that happens in our hearts about devotion towards either God or towards money. I like what Francis Bacon said. Uh, Those of you who don't know him, if you're in the scientific field, you probably know about Francis Bacon. He he, uh, developed the scientific methodology of study uh, 500 years ago. But he says this quote, which has always stuck with me. He said, money is a great servant, but a bad master. Some people, money is mastering you right now. But others of you, you use it as a tool, the way God's designed it to be. And it can be a great servant to us. It can help us accomplish things. 
But if we don't do it according to God's wisdom, we'll get to where the money is in charge. We begin to serve the money instead of serving God. So I have five points for us today. And I'm going to try to explain them real easy, again, for the kids as well, because I think it's so important. We taught these principles to our kids when they were very, very young as well. So uh, another reason to have the kids in here. The first point I'm going to talk about is that we need to work hard and save for the future. The Bible has a lot to say about work, that we are to work hard and save for the future. Now, one of the things that sometimes people think of because work, oh, work, that's part of the curse. You know, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned, we wouldn't have work. No, actually, God gave work to man before the fall related to sin. We were created to work, every one of us. In fact, you know, sometimes people will retire early and they have nothing to do and they die early because we are created to work. God had put that in us. And by the way, I've learned this. You do not ever ask a lady if she works. You might ask her if she works outside the home, but you don't ever ask a lady if they work because we all, I know my wife, she works very, very hard. So whatever we do, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a paycheck, but we were created to work and then also to save for the future. Now, I directed you to Proverbs 6. Let's start in verse 6. Proverbs 6. And God's word sometimes gets very... Pointed, okay? So that's why I'm glad to read it from God's word rather than coming out of my lips, okay? It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. What a great way to address a crowd on January 1st, okay? <laughs> hey, let's go learn from the ants, you sluggards, okay? Consider its ways and be wise, okay? So God has put some lesson in the ants, that he wants us to learn. Verse 7. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. See, that's the principle that God really wants us to learn from the ants. That they work. They're not working because they have to. Like there's some slave master over them. They work. They gather up food and they store it for the future. They save. By the way, not too long ago, we watched the, the movie. It's been out a long time now, Bugs Life. Have you ever seen the movie? It's a, it's a good movie. You watched it with grandkids and so forth. Except those grasshoppers. They look a little demonic, I think. But, uh, uh, but it's a cute movie about the same principle. The ants were storing food and the grasshoppers were stealing it from them and so forth. But anyway, so we are to go and learn this lesson about work and saving. And then it goes on verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? In other words, it's addressing people who are lazy. Now, let me just say this. If you're not working because you have retired or you're disabled, that's fine. You know, you put your time in, you worked, or maybe you want to, you can't, or maybe you're unemployed and you're looking for work. Looking for work can be work. Like I said, you could be working in the home. There's a lot of ways that people work and so forth. But this is really addressing people that are not doing anything. All they're doing is vegging out on Netflix, playing video games. They're not doing anything, okay? So it's saying, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, oh, a little folding of the hands to rest. And look what it says. And poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity 
like an armed man. See, what God has done is he's built this principle in us that we are to work, that in exchange for work, we receive something in return. Money, goods, you know, before there was a money system, there was bartering where people exchanged goods and so forth. He, he designed this system for us to work and not just to be dependent on other people. This is throughout the scripture. I could do a whole message just on this one point about work. And, you know, this is for you young people as well. I mean, remember teaching our kids. They had jobs to do, you know, mowing the lawn and cleaning vehicles and, and, and so forth. And so whatever age your kids are at, you start to look at how can you teach them to work. One of the things, and, and the teenagers are all going to hate me for this right now, but uh, we told our kids, someday you're going to want to drive a car. And you're going to want your own car. Mom and dad are not going to pay for it. You've got to get jobs. You've got to work for it. We'll help you with the insurance, but you're going to have to buy your own car. And all three of our kids did. Do you know later when they got to their 20s, they actually told us that was a very valuable lesson because it taught them a work ethic? Our, our oldest daughter, Christy, started a cleaning business at 14. Our son, uh, our son uh, at 14 started working for a landscaper, mowing yards, and then he went into to detailing cars. Our daughter, or Anna, she started working at, uh, was at Kilwin's uh, downtown, scooping ice cream and so forth as a 15-year-old. They saved up, so when they were 16, they had a down payment for a car, and they borrowed from me, the banker. <laughs> but now, there wasn't a che- it was a cheaper car, okay? It wasn't as expensive, but I told them, I said, I'm going to be your banker. Now, according to Scripture, you're not to charge your relatives interest. So they got an interest-free loan from me and Barb. But I said, I'm going to be tougher than you than the banker. We had a little payment book where they would write down every time they made their monthly payments. But I said, a banker might let you get by with two or three months without making a payment before they come get your vehicle. One month without paying your, your payment, the keys come to me. So that was the trade-off. And you know what? Every one of them got satisfaction in that, that joy of painted off, knowing it was something of theirs. They took better care of it that way. And like I said, it's, it's, it's hard for kids with, uh, you know. And, you know, I know some of you do that. Some of you might say, well, we make allowances because our kids are real involved in sports, and maybe that's their work and so forth, so you're, so you're helping them. But one way or another, here's the point. Teach your kids how to work. If you buy them everything, are they going to learn how to work? No. And that's what we have in today's society. We have a lot of people that get something for nothing. And why are they? Why would they have to work? People just provide. Now, there are there's certain situations, you know, where you help the poor, and we'll get into that here in a moment. But this is not something that we should just have where we just depend on others. Now, back to those ants. You know what the ants knew? The ants knew winter is coming. They had to store away in the summer, in the fall, because winter is coming. Church, I'm here to tell you. I don't know that this is prophetic. I'm always careful if I say this, thus saith the Lord. I'm not saying that on this. But it's very possible winter's coming. We're beginning 2023. We don't know what this year has in store for us. A lot of people are predicting recession. Some people say we're in a recession. You know, I've gone through several recessions before. 
And because of the principles I'm teaching you today, we made it through those, those recessions because if you save, you put money aside, then you're not quite as dependent. You're not riding you know, in a lot of panic because of the interest rates going way high and so forth. Look what the scriptures say. I got some more up on the screen. Proverbs 10, 4. And by the way, there were so many of them. I just had to pick and choose, but there were so many of like this. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So we see that importance of diligently working hard with our hands. Proverbs 14, 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And then Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So we see the principle of saving, of compound interest, really, where, where the money grows as you save it and so forth. So just some really important principles. Now, I will throw out a, a warning here. Don't be a workaholic. God's the one who gave us a Sabbath. He wants us to take a rest. He doesn't want us to be a workaholic because that can be another where you go from one extreme to the other. So you have the slugger, the lazy person. I don't want to work. Everybody's going to do something for me. Or the person just work, 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 and then never take time. Not enough time for their family. Not time to serve God. They sometimes don't even take time for themselves. That's another extreme. We don't want to go down that road. So let's go to the next point. So the first one is work hard and save for the future. Next is avoid consumer debt. In other words, be careful borrowing money. So kids, this means like if you really want to buy something and you don't have enough money, rather than say, Mom and Dad, do you buy it and I'll pay you back later, save the money up so that when you have it, you can then buy it. So often people do not learn this principle, and that's the principle of delayed gratification. Very, very important. I want it. I want it now. And we live in a day and age where all we can do is pull out our phone and we click, 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 and we have it, and it's coming next day with Prime, with Amazon Prime. Okay. Now, if you got the money and it's within your budget, your plan, that's nothing wrong with that. But when you're doing it and you don't have the money, you're borrowing against the future. That's what gets people in trouble. Look at Proverbs twenty-two seven. It says this: The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I, as we see the interest rates going up, this is going to become more and more of an issue. People, those of you that have high uh, amounts of credit card debt and you're watching those interest rates go up, and I've had people come and talk to me and they feel like they're, they're already starting to feel like they're underwater with the amount of their monthly payment is going to be based on the borrowing that they have because interest rates have gone up. And everybody's quick to give you a card with 0% interest for a certain period of time, transfer your balance over, and there's all these little shell games that are played, but at some point in time it has to be paid back. So be really careful. There's two kinds of people. One type is those who pay interest, and and the other type are those who are paid interest. In other words, if you have money in savings, you're being paid interest. Kids, you put money in the bank, you, you save it, you're paid for it. They're, they're actually giving you money to use your money. Or if you borrow money, you have to pay someone else to borrow that money for the, for the use of that money. Now, let me just say this, because I know I might disagree, some of you might disagree with this one. Uh, it's not wrong to have debt. 
it's not wrong to borrow. Okay, there, there is a price to pay, okay? And as we just read that, the borrower can become a servant to the lender. But there's a kind of a good kind of debt and there's a bad kind of debt. Let me just take a moment to explain. First of all, Jesus said in Matthew 5, do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. So he did not say it's wrong to borrow, okay? So be real careful there. But the type of debt that I would say is, is okay Let's say you're buying a home. Most people cannot buy a home without uh, a loan. But you should make sure that your payments are very reasonable, at least below, let's say, 28% of your income, your monthly take-home for your housing payments. You don't want to get in over your head, and you want to make sure it's a good investment. Homes can be an investment because they can appreciate in value. They can actually go up. Uh, A transportation so you can go to work. Could be like, well, I don't have the money, but I need a job, and so I got to borrow. But it doesn't have to be a brand new car, thirty, forty thousand dollar vehicle. It could be a cheaper car so you can get to work and so forth. So there's a good kind of debt. Another one would be like when you're like bettering yourself through education. Okay, school loans can be a good kind of debt because it's hopefully going to be something you can. Well, I could get paid off for you, I guess. So, um, but uh, I won't go there. Now, let me talk about bad kind of debt. Bad kind of debt would be things that immediately go down in value, things that, you know, sometimes you'll you'll get this where you don't have to make any payments for a year or two, and sometimes those things can start to wear out before you even have them paid off. But consumer debt, especially credit cards, can be a bad one. And uh, that's what oftentimes people do with the consumer debt is they put it on a charge card of some sort. I just want to challenge you to think about this instead. My wife and I have practiced this ever since we got married. We got married as poor college students. We were so, I was still had a year of school left. We, we were so poor that for us to go on a honeymoon, and we went camping as a, for a honeymoon. I don't know how uh, Barb ever agreed to that, but uh, <laughs> we had to take the cards that we got given to us for our wedding, open them up, get the money out, so we had money for gas and pay for the campsite. That's how poor we were. And we lived in married student housing. We commonly referred to that as the uh, Roach Motel. <laughs> but what we had was, as we started out, we wanted things. We needed furniture. You know what we started to do? Going to auctions, estate sales, buying garage sale type things. And you know what? In our first year or two of marriage, we had some friends who everything was was borrowed. And we would go to their place and like, oh, it's all nice and everything. But then we'd have them come to our place. And, Look at the deal we got on this. Look at this. You know, I learned how to refinish furniture out of necessity. And today I have a woodworking hobby because I learned how to do it because we didn't have money for a table and chairs, but I found a really cheap set and I learned how to strip it, sand it, put a new finish on it. So there's a lot of, you can actually make it into a fun type thing. Today, we have marketplace, Craigslist, garage sales, thrift stores, all kinds of ways. If you really need something, it doesn't have to be brand new, okay? Especially if you don't have the money for it. If you have the money for it, that's a different type of thing. Then it's a personal preference. But I'm talking about if you don't have the money. Now, here's another thing that the Bible has something to say about, and that's co-signing loans, okay? There's actually a lot of verses in the book of Proverbs about co-signing loans. Don't do it. If you've done it, get out of it as quick as possible. Here's one of them, Proverbs eleven fifteen. It says this. 
I think so. Proverbs 11.15, do we have that one? Well, let me read it to you then. Oh, here it comes. He who puts security up for another, that's cosigning the loan, will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. Because if you co-sign a loan, most time people will do it, maybe for some relative, and they don't have good credit. There's a reason why the bank wouldn't give them that loan. Okay? That's just a clue right there. If you do it, if they default on it, now it comes on you. And uh, not a good situation. So what if you are in debt? I don't want to leave you like hanging, like, oh, man, we're in bad shape and so forth. Uh, you know, we've taught in the three or four years ago, we did the financial peace. We had about 2,000 people from our church go through FPU, Financial Peace University. We have a small group going to start again at the end in January or February. Be watching on our website if you need help in this area. But one of the things is to try to, first of all, get a $1,000 savings for emergencies. Don't touch it. Something goes wrong in the car, the water heater, something. You have something so you don't have to add to your debt. Then you have a plan of attacking the debt. And the way Dave Ramsey teaches it, he says, go after the one with the smallest balance first. Now, to me, I, I would say, well, you go after the one with the highest interest. But psychologically, he has found if you get the smallest balance, pay that off, and then whatever you were paying that, you apply that to the next loan, there's something like where you feel like you're getting some traction. You feel like you're getting some success to it. And they've, they've proven that that is a good method for getting out of debt. We're here as a church to help. And so if you're in that situation, don't go away feeling like, oh, there's no hope. There's obviously hope. So many people, even staff people and so forth, have gone through FPU in a way to help us so that we can also make sure we don't get ourselves in trouble. Even as a church, we've made a commitment now, too. We don't want to add to our debt. We want to pay down our debt as a church. We have different needs, things that we would like to do at our campuses and, and, and here in Melbourne. And we've decided, no, we're going to trust God. When the money comes in, we will do certain things. If it doesn't come in, we're not going to add to our debt for certain things. So we're trying to practice that even as a church. And I hope you appreciate that um, is what we're trying to do. But, you know, when the church grew rapidly and we needed facilities, it would have been really hard to have to expand it like we did so quick without debt. So, they're, again, they're, we're within reason, but, again, it's not something we want to continue to add to. So let's move on to the third thing. So the second thing was avoid the consumer debt. In other words, watch out borrowing. The next one is give generously as a priority. Give generously. Be generous. Give. Look at this passage from Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits, that's a key word, first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's something about the first fruits. It's, a, it's about priority. If you study about Cain and Abel, you know, God accepted uh, Abel's uh, offering, but he didn't Cain's. Sometimes people think, well, one gave from the animals, one gave from the vegetable, you know, the crops. No, there's something else that's key in there, is that Abel gave of the first. Cain gave probably a leftover. There was a, it's, it's a priority, and it's the way we honor the Lord is with our wealth. 
Now, you probably don't need to bring, you know, a load of some, you know, oranges or grapefruit here to the church for first fruits of your crop. But let me tell you, I, we were in a, um, on a mission trip in Guatemala one time, and there was a coffee farmer, and he brought bags of coffee as, a, as an offering at the church as the first fruit of his crop. Yeah. So... There's a promise there, too, that verse. You see that? Not only do we honor the Lord by giving first, it says, then you'll be blessed. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes people have turned this into, like, God is a genie in the bottle. Ooh, if I give God first, if I give him my tithe, then, oh, boy, you know, I give him $10, and I'm going to get $100 back. God is not, a like, a slot machine, okay? He, he's generous to us. We give because he first gave to us. And he wants to make sure he has our heart. He doesn't need your money. God's doing pretty, pretty good without us, okay? But he knows it's best for us in our devotion to him that we don't allow money to get in the way of our relationship with him. So he's, he's designed the church to operate through giving. He's designed our human body to be givers and that we can uh, have a better relationship with God because Money doesn't control us. And so that's why we give. Um, Many, many promises in the scriptures about giving. In the scripture, well, let me just ask you this. If I had, I'm going to ask, uh, I need a child here. Do we have somebody that's kind of close that's, uh, how old are you? Seven. You'll work just fine. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question, Okay. If I have a $10 bill, how much of this belongs to God? Help him out. All of it. By the way, you can have this. Now let me ask you this. How much of that belongs to God? All of it. Everything we have is a gift from God, isn't it? We are called to be stewards, managers of it. Now, we give. There's three different types of ways that we see in Scripture we can give. Let's see them up on the screen. We can give tithing, our first 10%. Uh, my wife and I have been doing it ever since we uh, first became Christians. And we've taught it to our kids. And it, it absolutely is biblical. And sometimes people say, well, you know, it's not in the New Testament. Oh, it's, Jesus taught on it two different times. It's in Luke and Matthew. He said not to forsake tithing, but it's there. Offerings, you know, giving to missions and to other maybe uh, parachurch organizations or wherever God directs you to give. And then alms, that's where we give to the poor. God wants us to be givers. He doesn't want us to be stingy. And, you know, it's interesting how God puts people together. My wife and I, when God put us together, I was saved, she was saved. Very different personalities. Um, I was very, very responsible. I was always very, real, that's a nice way of, that's a nice way of saying I was stingy, okay? Um, I, I worked really hard, I had a bank account, I bought my own car, didn't need a loan, I mean, I was like very, very planned out, I even had a, a, a balance of my bank account when we got married. So I was very, very responsible, but you know what? I wasn't, I was pretty stingy, I wasn't generous. Very responsible, not generous. My wife, on the other hand, 
She was extremely generous. But she lacked a little on the responsibility side. So what did God do by putting us together? Because the balance that I believe God has for all of us is to be generous with responsibility. That's the balance. We don't just gift anybody. You know, I see people out on the streets, you know, begging. And I, I'm like, uh, sometimes you're just fostering somebody's habit, their bad habit and so forth. But there are times where you might want to give to the poor. Uh, I'll give you an example. One time, I um, dropped my wife off. I had the two, grand, two oldest grandkids, Reuben and Mary. Where they were in the van with us or in the vehicle with us. I can't remember what we had. I went, dropped my wife off to run an errand. I went to a gas station with the kids. As I pulled up to the gas station, there was a, an older man looking through the trash cans at this gas station. And he was looking for cans to recycle. And uh, I don't know, God just put it on my heart. Went over there and gave him a $10 bill, I think it was. And uh, just got back in. And the kids were like looking like, what are you, what are you doing? I said, oh, the guy looked like he was in need. And I just wanted to give him some money. He didn't ask me for anything. And I just did it. Didn't think anything of it. Well, some months later, our daughter Christy was teaching the kids about giving and giving to the poor and so forth. And Mary, at the time, this was probably about three years ago, she was about four at the time, she says, just like when Papa gave that man a $10 bill at the gas station. She remembered that. See, parents, you can't teach your kids to be generous if you're not generous. We are living examples before our kids. If we're in debt, and with the snowballing thing over us, and we're stingy and so forth, how are kids going to learn to be generous and givers? So often kids follow in the footsteps of parents. So teach your kids to be generous. I remember one time we, uh, we watched some kids, um, my wife watched some kids for... Uh, our pastor in Iowa. There was their grandkids. They had to do something. Their kids were staying with them. And so she, she watched these grandkids for our pastor. And when they came to pick them up, they wanted to pay her some money. And our kids were around there watching. And then she said, no, no, we're, no, we're not taking your money. And she wouldn't take the money. And the kids were like, why don't you take the money? <laughs> you know? And, and she said, well, you know, God will take care of us. You know, we're fine. We don't need to do that. I'm not kidding you. One week later, we went to a water park. We were in the parking lot getting everybody out of the van to go into the water park. We were going to buy tickets for all five of us to go to the water park. And a man pulls up and he says, I've got five tickets for the water park. I can't use. Do you want them? And we said, absolutely, sure. And it was like he was a little bit further ahead than where my wife was. Our son runs back to my wife and says, the blessing, the blessing. <laughs> The blessing. He was all excited because he put two plus two together, realized you were generous. Now God's, and let me tell you, the the price of that water park was way more than probably what they were going to give us. You can't outgive God. And don't think of it just like churches manipulating you for money. You know how we do money here. We, We stopped even passing the offering bags. We trust that God is speaking to you. If you're his followers, he should be speaking to you about giving. We have those boxes there for convenience. You can give online. Obviously, we need money, but we're not going to manipulate you. We don't have any where we're sending you uh, cards, you know, like or pledges, you know, things like that. That's between you and God. But watch your heart. Don't become like this stingy, like I was before the influence of my wife. 
Okay. So turn to Proverbs 14. Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. Let's, let's look at this on the scripture. Again, I love the way God says it because he says it so clearly in his word. Proverbs 11, verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Can you say it any more clearly? Then skip over to verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Who you tr- what are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in your riches? Are you trusting in your bank account? Are you trusting in your 401k or your IRAs? I choose to trust in the Lord. And I've watched those accounts go up and down and right now down. But you know what? God has no problem taking care of us, does he? He is God. He wants us to trust him. As we give, he will take care of us. And then I look at verse uh, on the screen. Proverbs 14, 31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. What God is looking for is that we're generous. Kids, you can be generous. I remember one time when our daughter, um, she took a whole bag of clothes that she wasn't wanting anymore to a girl in her class at Mel High who didn't have anything. She was wearing the same outfit every day, and she talked to the girl, and the girl said, you know, uh, my parents are going through a divorce. We had to leave our house, staying with relatives. I don't have anything. In fact, she wasn't just wearing the same outfit. She was wearing some of her, bro- her brother's clothes. And it so moved on our daughter that she put together some stuff out of her own room and took it to her. We didn't tell her to do that. See, this is the generosity that we can have as people of God. It makes God much more attractive. You know what the world thinks of us Christians? You guys are a bunch of mean-spirited people. They're just only in it for yourselves. We should be the most generous people. You know, as a church, we are a very generous church. We, we do. When we put out a need, we put out something, you guys come through. And so I want to thank you. Let's go to number four. Number four is plan for the future. So we've talked about giving as a priority. Now, plan for the future. How best do we plan for the future? Is a budget. If you fail to plan, you probably plan to fail. Look what it says in Proverbs 21, verse 5 and 6. It says this. The plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste, in other words, quick decisions, leads to poverty. A fortune made by lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. I want to focus on that first part, though. The plans of the diligent. We need a plan. Budgets are a good thing. And you know what? If you're married, it's not a good budget unless you as a husband and wife, develop it together and both in agreement with it. A, blank, a budget is really telling your money where to go instead of your money telling you where to go. It really is helpful to budget, to make decisions, but oftentimes people don't. They make quick decisions, haste, and you see it leads to poverty. Most people, they, uh, they, balance, they, they, they live by what's in my, the balance in my bank account. There's no budget. 
I, oh, I can buy that. I have extra money. But what you don't know is what's going to happen next month that might be unusual that, oh, I didn't plan for that. This is why you plan for the unexpected. I, I, I heard once about a guy. He was brand new. He's a teller at a bank, and he was working at the, at the bank, and a lady came and said, um, she came up to the counter and said, can you check my balance? And he walked around the counter and pushed her over. Ah, gotcha. That was the last day of his work. <laughs> Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. So we have to, we have to plan. We have to, you know, it's nothing wrong. Even if you have lots of money, you might say, well, I got plenty of money. I don't need to budget. See, a budget keeps you making wise decisions so you can reach further goals in the future. Uh, you know, a great simple little plan is whatever you make, whatever you bring home, live off of 80%. Give God the first 10%, put the next 10% into a savings, and live off of 80%. Very, very simple. And if you do that simple thing, it will keep you from going into big problems later on. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So if you need help, we're here to help. Like I said, we have a financial ministry small group that's going to be starting, and uh, you'll be able to find that online. Now, let's go to the last one. Last one, number five, is to avoid selfish motives. Avoid selfish motives. This is really where it gets at our heart. If you don't do this one, you'll have a really hard time with the other ones. Turn to Proverbs 30. Last passage I'm going to have you turn to. Proverbs 30. And this really looks at our heart. You know, even in the Bible has a lot to say about contentment, about godliness with contentment is a great gain. You know, contentment is that attitude of our heart, of not being selfish, not being greedy. You know, I, I really believe this, that true wealth is not how, how much you have, but how little you need. Let me say that again. True wealth is not how much you have. It's how little you need. There's plenty of really rich people out there that got to have more. They're so driven. They don't have enough. But what if you get to the point where, like, I got my needs are met, and now I can just be generous? Do you know if you put these things to practice, it gives you so much freedom? I was teaching these principles, even in Iowa, in the church we were at, I've been living by these for a long time now, trying to be frugal, but giving and so forth. And when God called me in 2002 to leave the corporate world and become a pastor here, I'm not saying this toot my horn, but I could do this. I took a 75% pay cut. But we weren't living off of what I was making. We were living way below, and we still had to make a few cuts after that. But enabled me to do and fulfill the calling of God on my life. Some of you would love to be able to step out and do something new and different, but maybe you've you got to have this high income because you can't walk away from it. But see, a budget will help you to get to a plan where you're like, okay, we can do this. Or we can you know, have one person working and have one staying home with the kids or whatever it might be. So Proverbs 30, look at verse 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Here's an interesting part. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. 
you know, we think about, we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Verse 9 tells us why. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Verse 8 and 9 is really interesting. You know why that? It's saying somewhere there's a right balance there. If I have too much, I don't need to trust God anymore. If I have too little and I haven't been wise, I'm pretty soon I become like almost like steel. God said, pray for that daily bread. God will take care of our needs. He, he, you are so important to him that he sent his son to die for you and for me. And I know like I'm an earthly father and grandfather and I, I'd do anything for my kids. I love my kids and so forth. But God is way beyond that with us. He will take care of us. But he doesn't want us to be controlled by things. Proverbs 28, verse 19 through 22 says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who, look at this, chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Be really careful that we are not out there chasing fantasies. That we're not out there being so driven by the things of this world. Remember, contentment with godliness is great gain. The last verse I'm going to put up on the screen and we're going to pray. Mark 8, 36, back to words of Jesus. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul. See, really, it's not about money. It's about our soul. Where's your soul? Where's your heart at today? Is it with God? Is God your... Are you serving Him? Or are you serving the things of this world? And I, I taught on money, but we could change it to other things too. It could be about success. It could be about power. It could be about other things. See, God doesn't want anything to compete against him. He wants us to be where we're his children, where we, we love him. It'd be like if my grandkids, you know, we, we bought them a, a toy, and they were like, I'm only interested in your toy. I don't want any relationship with you, but what do you, what'd you get me? Because sometimes that's how people treat God. What did you got for me, God? I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to serve you, but what do you got for me? And how do we do all this? It's our relationship with Jesus. This is where true commitment, contentment comes from, is our relationship with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you will not have contentment. You've heard it said before, and I don't know if it's really completely accurate and so forth. People have described it as kind of like this hole in our heart that we have that's a God-shaped hole there that's meant for the Holy Spirit to live in. It's, you know... It's probably trying to explain something that's way beyond what we can really explain. But here's what I do know. Is that when we have Christ, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we become generous. We put God first. We're not controlled by other things. That's how God wants his people to live. This isn't a a teaching to, to manipulate you in some way. It's a teaching to help you be all that God has called you to be. And not to be driven by by money or success or whatever it might be. 
My wife and I, this week, we went on just an overnight. We went down. We love going down to West Palm. We stay at a Holiday Inn Express down there. Pretty simple. We take our bicycles. But one of the things we love to do is bicycle around Palm Beach. If you've never been down there, incredible. No gated communities. You can bike anywhere. We went around Mar-a-Lago, all the different places down there. And you see a lot of money. Saw a lot of Bentleys, Rolls Royces. But I wouldn't trade my life for any of that. Because I've got Christ. I've got a family that I love. I love a church, that church that I love. See, it's really that commit, that contentment that can only come from Jesus. And every so often you hear about people who are extremely rich taking their life because they have no hope. They've reached the top and they realize they're still empty. See, if you're poor, you think, well, if, if only I have this, then I will be satisfied. There are plenty of people that have it and they're still not satisfied. So I'm going to invite you in a moment. We're going to pray. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the beginning of 2023 would be the perfect time to do it, that you can begin your life with a new, fresh commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And if God's spoken to you, to you through some of these points about some things that you maybe need to adjust in how you use your money or the attitude of your heart, then so be it. Take it to God. Take the, the points or talk to God about it and see if there's some things you need to do. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's so practical. It helps us to live life with your wisdom, that you've given us wisdom on how to live our lives, to work hard and save that you want us to not be a servant to, to lenders. That, Lord, you have given us uh, the ability to give, give generously. That we can make plans with your help, with even other counselors to come alongside of us. And that, Lord, you want us to, to guard our hearts against selfishness. Help these principles to come deep down in our heart. So we can truly live like you want us to live. And I just pray if there's anyone here right now who needs to make a new, fresh commitment as we begin January 1st here with Jesus Christ. You need to turn your life over to Christ or you need to make this like a new start of following Jesus. Would you just raise your hand up high? I just want to pray for you right there in your seat. Raise your hand up high, okay? Okay. Others? Okay. Okay. Good. Up in the balcony, yep. See some people up there, good. Others? Oh, good. Great. You can put your hands down. If, if that's you, even if you didn't raise your hand, but what the hand is is just telling God, that, God, I'm serious about this. I want this. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer. There's like no magic formula. What it is, though, it's about you telling God you want that relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So let me just lead you in this prayer. Just pray it under your breath. You're praying it to God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins, dying in my place, and rising from the dead. Please forgive me now all my sins. Send your Holy Spirit to come live in me. Because I want to follow you from this day forward. That you are my Lord, my God, my Savior, my King. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.